Uh, will you pray with me? Will you pray with me this morning uh, as we remember uh, this weekend for Memorial Day? Uh, dear God, uh, we, pray, uh, we pray for all those people this weekend that we remember the men and women that gave their lives uh, for our country so that we could have freedom, that we could live the lives that we live, God. Um, we pray and thank you for all the goodness that we see in this world, God, that we see here in this country, in this community of people that we're in right now, God. And we pray that you continue to work your goodness in it, God, that we remain to remember to look for you, that we remember to, to see you in it, God. And thank you. Thank you so much. We love you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, my name's Mark. I don't know if you guys know that yet. I just introduced myself a little bit ago. Um, I'm the youth minister, new youth minister here at, uh, at South Union. Um, Jimmy uh, couldn't preach this week uh, for whatever reason, so he, he decided to ask Jake. He decided to ask Jake if he could preach, but Jake couldn't be here this week, so they decided, oh, well, maybe we could ask the Gilpins, but ugh, they preached last week. So they called me in off the bench, fourth string for you guys. So hopefully uh, I do a good job for you. I'm really excited to be here. Um, but uh, I, I thought I'd start off, let you guys get to know me a little better. Um, I grew up, uh, I'm a preacher's kid, so that's probably all you need to know about me right there. Um, but uh, a preacher's kid, I got to live in a lot of different places. Um, but the place I lived the most in my life, the majority of it, was just right down the road in Bedford, Indiana. So pretty close to home. Um, I, I went to B&L because I lived in Bedford, and uh, I'm, that's when I was a sophomore at B&L. That's when I first started dating Lexi, who's here with us today, because just this past August I got married to her. Uh, six years dating and then finally got married, so that's pretty cool. High school sweethearts, it's really cute. So, um, yeah, so I just got married. If you want to know some things that I really like to do, um, I know this is kind of a cop-out of an answer, but I really just love spending time with people. Um, and, and really, we could be doing anything. We could be watching movies, we could be playing board games, hiking, riding a bike, scrubbing the floor, cleaning toilets. Like, as long as I'm with people, like, I love it. And I, can, I just love being along for the ride. And because of that, I've always been somewhat of a yes man. I've always just loved just saying yes to everything. I'd rather say yes and like kill myself to get everything done than say no and then find out that I missed out on something. And that kind of decision making kind of tends to breed a lot of busyness. Uh, I can tend to be a really busy person. And I like to fill my time up with so much to do. This past year, there have been a lot of things that have kind of made me contend with that busyness that I fall into. Uh, first off is uh, marriage. Why did anybody tell me marriage was really hard? <laughs> um, I mean, it's awesome. I've loved every second of it. Greatest thing that's ever happened to me. But when I get home, not only do I have to do all the things that I've said yes to, but now I have all the things that Lexi said yes to, too. It's like doubled up. So I've been really busy. Not only that, but uh, I moved out of the dorms because... I got married, can't live there anymore, and uh, since I wasn't in the dorms, I actually had bills to pay and stuff that I had to pay for, which meant I had to get a job that actually paid more than just, you know, me to eat out twice a week. So <laughs> I got a job at a restaurant where I was working lots of hours so I could pay for things, and uh, again, that made me a lot more busy than I'd ever been. Um, on top of that, then I got this job here which has been a huge blessing, came out of nowhere, wasn't expecting it, but it's been all good. 
but from the minute I got it, I just wanted to be here and be with all you guys and start working and not worry about all my projects and papers and stuff that I had to get turned in for school. Um, so on top of that, uh, I had to make sure that I was being a good student and make sure that I was getting everything turned in so that I could graduate and I could make it here with you guys. Needless to say, I had to say no to a lot of things this past year that I really wanted to say yes to. And uh, I know compared to some of you people in this room that my life probably sounds like a vacation from all of your busyness. I know you're sitting there and thinking, this guy, he doesn't even know what busy is. He's, I'm, I'm 22, I'll get there, you know, I'll get there. But uh, our lives can get overcrowded with busyness. And just like Jimmy was saying just a couple weeks ago, they can get overcrowded with good things too. Things that in themselves aren't bad, but they can, they can kind of get us distracted, get in the way of us seeing God in our lives. And when we realize this, our initial reaction, and it's a good reaction, sometimes it's what we have to do, is just detox our schedule. Just get rid of everything, everything that's in the way of us uh, seeing God in our lives. We just cut it all out. Uh, and sometimes that's, that is what you just need to do. But without fail, just a few months later, you're probably just as busy or busier than you were before, and the last time that you really talked to God is a distant memory. And some people just continue the cycle. They continue it over and over and over again, and they never ask the question that they really need to ask, which is, where is God in my life? Why did I stop seeing God in my life in the first place? Why did I get so distracted by my kids' sports or my career or my spouse or my boyfriend or my girlfriend that I stopped seeing God and His creation? And talking to the Philippians in verses 4, 8 through 9, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, the Philippians to whom Paul was writing were under severe persecution. They were a small group of Christians in a, non, a very non-Christian world. In fact, they probably were the only Christians around them for miles and miles and miles. And to them, the only connection to a larger church, a larger Christianity, was a guy named Paul who hadn't been around with them for a really long time. In fact, this guy was the one who brought the message of Jesus to them. And now he'd been gone. And they started thinking, is this persecution worth it? I mean, they started living this, this life that was way harder than what they thought it was going to be. And they started thinking, is this worth it? And Paul writes to the Philippians, and his purpose of it is just to encourage them. Encourage them to stay strong. Encourage them that God's still thinking about them, that God still loves them. But he's also just encouraging to remain focused. Remain focused on their mission and remain focused on God. And because of their persecution, the Philippians had begun to see anything outside of the church their small group of Christians that they knew, anything outside of that as their enemy. They'd kind of developed this idea of a world versus the church mentality. The church is against the world. And Paul is reminding them, 
first off, this world that you live in, it's God's world. This is the world that God made. And second off, the world is what we're fighting for. We're not supposed to be fighting against it. And God's still working in this world, whether you think so or not. So the Philippians were having trouble seeing God in their world. And Paul decided to tell them exactly where they needed to look. So Paul said, whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. Because every good thing, Paul is saying, every single good thing that you come into contact with in this world comes from God. Every good thing. And if you're only looking for God on Sunday morning or at your Bible study or on K-Love, you're missing out on a whole lot of God in your life. There's more than just one day a week where you need to be looking for Him. There's more than just one place. And as much as we would love to be around Christians all the time, most of life does not work out that way. Often, five to six days out of our week are spent away from the church. And if life gets really busy, you miss a week or two weeks or a month or a year or maybe longer. And just like the Philippians, we live in a non-Christian world. And busyness can just push God right out of our schedule. But Paul reassures us that when we think about and practice these things that he's talking about, God is with us. And when we're looking for the right things, we can see God in the middle of the busyness. So, until we start seeing these things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy, until we start seeing these things in our everyday lives, we are missing out on God. So, what are we looking for? What does truth look like in our everyday lives? Uh, one way that I like to do this is just, I think that as Christians, uh, we, can, we can find God to become more present in our busyness by recognizing and calling out truth. Because as tr Christians, we should be the ones that should be able to recognize it more than anybody. We should know what truth looks like. And a lot of times, believe it or not, in your everyday life, we hear a lot of truth spoken by Christians and non-Christians alike every day. But we just don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it sounds like. And as Christians, we should be the ones that are encouraging those that are speaking these things. We should be the ones that are champions for it. And whenever we hear those things, we should be the first ones to jump on board to say, yes, this is a good thing. This is what we should be fighting for. So what do these truths look like? These are just some basic ones. These are some basic truths that we should be fighting for. All people are created in the image of God. God loves all people. People should love all people. Good triumphs over evil. True power is found in weakness, in humility, in service of others. And no matter how bad you mess up, no matter how big your sin is, there is always grace. There's always a second chance. And when we hear these truths from, from people that are maybe, maybe non-Christians or non-Christian organizations that are fighting for things that are in line with things that are part of God's heart, what God would be fighting for, we should be the ones that are supporting this more than anything. We should be the ones that call that out and say, yes, that is good. 
And we should rejoice when we see this in our world. Because those are the truths that Jesus lived out. Those are the truths that make up the gospel. And there are examples of these things, these other things that Paul's talking about, just besides truth, the honor and and, and purity and loveliness. There are examples everywhere if we begin to look at them. Paul says, think about whatever is honorable to God, like, like taking care of the poor and the widows. Think about whatever is just, like the removal of crippling and corrupt social structures through the work of uh, organizations like International Justice Mission or A21. Think about whatever is pure, like the first time that you see a newborn baby. Think about whatever is lovely, like the sunset painted across the sky. Think about whatever is commendable, like the hard work and dedication of a senior high school basketball player at the end of his high school career. Think about whatever is excellent, like the lifelong masterpiece of a lifelong artist. Think about whatever is worthy of praise. I read a poem recently uh, that talks about praising God by a man named Frederick Buechner, and he says something in it that I just think is so good. He says, we learn to praise God not by paying compliments, but by paying attention. We learn to praise God not by paying compliments, but by paying attention. We know that God is still present and working and active in this world because when we pay attention, we can see his goodness in it. We can see his goodness in the things here. And we see the brokenness too but we see where God needs to enter in and where he already has entered in with his goodness. As I said earlier, uh, I like filling my days up with just way too much to do. And a symptom of that uh, is that uh, a lot of it becomes a blur. It's really hard for me to remember, what did I have for breakfast this morning? Let alone, where did I see God in my life last week? Uh, And so one of my favorite things that I learned Uh, while I was in college was this practice of reflective prayer. Um, The fancy name for this is the Eximen of Conscious, but I like to call it uh, the high-low prayer because I used to do something a lot like it whenever I was younger with my family every night sitting around the dinner table. We'd go around right before we ate and we'd share our high, what was our favorite thing that happened that day, and what was our low, what was our least favorite thing that happened that day. And I realized that that really just put in perspective a lot of times, like, there's always, like, one good thing that happens a day. And I'm always looking for it throughout the day, what that was. And with the high-low prayer, you do a lot of the same thing. It gives us the chance to reflect on a specific time, and that can be a day. I think that's the best way to do it, is just to think on a day. But also, it could be an hour. It could be a year. And you take that specific frame of time and you look at all the different ways that you interacted with God's goodness and all the ways that you interacted with the world's brokenness. And you just ask yourself two questions. And the first one, you ask yourself, what did I experience today that was life-giving? What did I experience today that was life-giving? Did I experience truth? Did I experience purity or something lovely or excellent? And then you think your way through your entire day from the time that you woke up to the time that you go to bed. And you just go through every scene of the day. And you think, where was God in that? 
Did something happen that was life-giving, like that breath of fresh air that fills you back up? Because that's what it's like when you come into contact with something that's godly. It gives you that, that, it fills you back up. It's like a breath of fresh air. And then once you know that, you move on to the next question, and you ask yourself, what did I experience today that was life-taking? What kind of brought me down? What kind of zapped the life out of me? Took that breath out of my lungs? Did I experience lies, or did I experience corruption or brokenness? And then, when you think your way through your entire day, uh, I like to pray to God over those things. Thank Him for His goodness. Pray that He begins to enter that brokenness. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a situation. Pray that He's there. Because as you begin to do this more and more, and you begin to lean more into those life-giving things, you're actually training yourself to become more aware of God's presence in your everyday life. You're training yourself to be looking for Him, looking for Him in the most mundane and simple things. Where's God present in this? Because in the busyness of life, God can begin to feel far away. But when we we reflect, we begin to see where He was and where He is present in our lives. So when you begin to really see the goodness of God in your life, the only response, Paul says, is obedience. And Paul, what Paul has shown the Philippians is what obedience looks like. Paul says, whatever is true and honorable and praiseworthy, think about these things. But what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And Paul is saying, look at my life. Look how I live. You know that in me are all these things that I was telling you, and I've already been teaching you guys how to live this way. So what does this life of obedience that Paul's talking about look like? It's a life that displays truth. It's a life that gives honor. A life that that seeks justice, that guards purity, that marvels at loveliness. It's a life that encourages commendable actions and admires excellence and joyfully praises that which is worthy of it. The life that Paul lives is a life-giving life. So, if you guys are seeing God in your life, but it doesn't lead to you practicing Him, if you're thinking about Him, but it doesn't lead to you practicing Him, then it doesn't matter, is what Paul's saying. you got to make that step. you got to make that transition. Because this stuff doesn't just change how you think, it changes how you live. Something that I've heard my entire life, uh, sitting in the front row of my dad preaching, he said it like forever, I remember, since I was a little kid, is that grumpy young men in the church should not grow up to be grumpy old men in the church. People should change. If you believe this stuff, it should change your life. In fact, you should become that life-giving presence, because when Paul says When you're thinking about this stuff and you're practicing stuff, it leads to the God of peace being with you. And if God is with you, not only do you see him more and you think about him more and you practice a life of obedience to him more, but people begin to see him in you more. You become become an example of truth. You become an experience of God's excellence. You become a conduit of loveliness, of of justice, 
of something that is praiseworthy. When people look at your life, they experience the goodness of God. And your whole life, in any situation, in church or out of church, at work or at home, with your friends or with strangers, your whole life becomes something that is pointing people towards God. So we have to ask ourselves, do I point people towards God? Does my life, do my actions point people towards God? Is an experience with me life-giving? Or is an experience with me life-taking? And if it is, we know what we need to do. We know where we need to start. We need to start looking for him because we're missing out on him. We're missing him in our lives. We're not dwelling on the things that we need to dwell on. We're not thinking about the things that we need to think about. And we're not practicing the things that we need to practice. Because when we're thinking and we're practicing, God is with us and that should change everything. So I challenge you guys to start tonight. When you, when you get into bed, you lay down, start tonight and ask yourself, think of your day, what was life-giving? What was life-taking? When did I feel closest to God? When did I feel farthest away? Because once you start realizing God's presence in your life, you should start to see the change. It should be a start to a huge change in everything that you do. It should change your whole life. I'd like to address uh, three concerns uh, today, just three quick things. Um, first off, Paul and I are not saying that if you're not thinking about God or practicing these things about God, that God is not with you. God is present in every situation. Whether you're thinking about him or not, he's working in that. So if you're worried about someone and you're thinking, oh, they're not thinking about him, they're not practicing him, God's not present. No, he is. He's working in that. What I am saying is that if you're not thinking about God, it's going to feel like he's not with you. What I am saying is that if you're not thinking about God, you're cheating yourself out of one of the greatest relationships that you could ever have. The greatest relationship that you could ever have. What I am saying is that if you really commit to looking for him, you're going to find him, and it's going to change your whole life. Second, uh, while I did say you need to be looking for God in the middle of your busyness, don't use this sermon as an excuse to keep abusing yourself and others with your busy schedule. You guys know how much busyness is too much busyness. It's never a bad idea to slow down. And then finally, uh, well, I did say you need to be looking for God outside of the church. Um, don't stop looking for God inside the church. You don't get to choose one or the other. You don't get to choose, uh, I'm going to, well, I can find God outside, so I'm going to stop. You've you got to do both. If you really care about this thing, you've got to do both. Because you're going to find him in both places. And while there are things that you'll only learn about God outside of Sunday morning, the things that the church offers can really only be found here. Because the church should be the most life-giving place that you go to throughout your entire week. At the church, you should find things that are true, 
and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. And you should see people learning and receiving and hearing and seeing and above all practicing these things. And the person that all these things are found perfectly in is Jesus. When you look at Jesus, if you want to see what truth looks like in someone's life, you look at his life. You want to see loveliness, you look at the life of Jesus. Justice, look at Jesus. Excellence, praiseworthy. Because his whole life was life-giving. It was nothing but life-giving. Every single person that came into contact with him found themselves pointed towards God. And his death was literally life-giving. He gave his life for us. When everyone else deserved death, he took it upon himself, the one person who didn't deserve it. And then in his resurrection, he gave us life. And that's the life-giving life that we get to live. That's the life that gets to transform us and change us into this life-giving presence of God. We just got to take it. So I invite you guys today to come forward, take communion, and remember God's presence, his goodness in the life, in the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Dear God, uh, I pray this morning uh, for your communion, that we can remember your goodness in it, your life-giving presence in it, God that it can begin to change us from the inside out. I pray that we can do this with all sincerity and with a heart that's willing to change. This doesn't just fall on hard ground, but it falls on, on good soil. And something starts to take root. In Jesus' name, amen.